Well, um, as we get ready for the message, um, we're going to show a video, but I have to give you a little preface to the video. Um, the, the person who recorded the videotape, I have disciplined that person. They work in my office. And so uh, I've dealt with that person pretty severely. So if you see something that says, oh, that doesn't look real good, um, know that it wasn't our media department's fault. It was that person that works in my office. It was their fault, okay? But it's a great video. Watch this testimony. In the beginning, we, when we first got married in Las Vegas, um, when I was sharing my vows, I was stopped the moment I said, as God is my witness. And at that time, you know, I wasn't a born-again Christian yet. And at that time, I felt like, okay, I'm going to do whatever you want, want me to say. And definitely it was, you can feel God's not present because I felt like that our marriage was cursed. We're always fighting. There's a lot of conflicts. There's a lot of resentment and bitterness and a lot of fights. I have to kind of agree with what she said. Um, what made it, I think, the most turbulent was uh, I was very loose with my words. There was no um, restraints ever, and uh, I didn't take into consideration maybe the degree that I might have been hurting her, but I, for whatever reason, felt entitled, like, because as a man, I just had the wrong views of what marriage was. I'm going to go down downtown to and pick me one of those... Um, do yourself divorce because you know I was pretty much like a single mom we're separated at that time and I said that it's it's the only thing that I could afford and then this line from the movie fireproof came through and I thought God was the one that I felt like as if it was God's message to me the line was um when Caleb was telling his wife that I learned that you never leave your partner, especially in the fire. And I just have to stop and say, Lord, is that you? <laughs> and I'm like, this can't be you because you know exactly what I went through with this man and you still want me to stay with him. And as if I heard God said to me, uh, tell me something I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up not going downtown to pick up the packet. And then I went home and I started reading and he led me to the scriptures where, um, you know, what God put together, let no one mm -hmm. just separate. I said, Lord, you're the only one who has the power to change this around and I'm going to stick with your word and it didn't happen overnight the changes didn't happen right. overnight but then as I Mike and I are going through this I just keep clinging on to God there was a period in our marriage where marriage classes uh, the, the topic of marriage uh, classes came up and 
it was at that time that re-engage was, was taking place and I don't recall if it was the first or the second time but uh, Anne suggested uh, that we should go and I was not for it. Again there were still forces uh, working in me about uh, everything is fine, uh, we don't need any help. Uh, and uh, I think she's very effective in praying because a lot of her prayers get answered when it comes to me and my submission. Because one church service, when the announcements came about uh, the upcoming re-engaged class, um, something prompted me, and then I turned to Anne and I said, I think we should sign up for this class. And um, she broke out in tears because she goes, I've been praying for this. Amen. And uh, it's probably the best thing we've done. One of the core things that they shared with us in the beginning was, Draw a circle around yourself and fix what's broken in the circle. And when I gave that a lot of thought, I knew I was going to be there for a while. So I, would, I didn't really have any time to focus on what was I, I could even see be wrong with Anne because uh, I had a lot of things that needed fixing. And so I think it's a really good thing to, to take away from the, the class. And there's, there's so much more, but if you keep going back to that one core thing about fixing yourself, uh, it really takes your ability to see errors or maybe flaws in your spouse and you start to become more humble and see the, the flaws in yourself. If it wasn't for the Lord being in the center of our marriage, we wouldn't be sitting here today. And we would like to our, our story to be a witness for God's mm -hmm. glory for all the couples who are struggling and we are like the living proof of what God can can do I mean if he can if God can raise a dead person to life he can definitely <laughs> restore and redeem this I marriage <laughs> They're right here. Would you guys stand up, <laughs> Mike and Ann? I'm gonna... <laughs> Takes a lot of courage to talk about your marriage like that. And we're going to talk about marriage uh, this week and next week. Just to give you a little warning, as I got into this message, I realized there's far too much stuff to cover. We're only going to go through the first part of this message. So uh, we're going to do the, the rest of it next week or maybe in the next few weeks. I don't know, but... And there's a lot to cover here. And the, the reason why we need to cover it is because marriage has been, in the public view, in a decline. All the statistics that, that speak of marriage show it going down. I mean, since 1960, the divorce rate has doubled. In, in 1960, 75% of adults were married. Today, 50% of adults are married. In 1970, 11% of children were born to unwed parents. Today, it's 40% of children growing up, uh, many in single-parent homes. And that number is higher. It, it's, 70, it's over 70% in the African-American community. And so we're, we're watching our kids grow up, not even able to watch what a healthy marriage looks like. And, and so the response of our culture has been this. Uh, I, I've watched so many marriages around me fail 
I've watched my parents, I've watched aunts and uncles, I've watched friends, and I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to touch marriage. And besides, those that stayed married, they don't look very happy. I mean, you watch this, this grumpy old man and woman who pick on each other, and yeah, they're married, but that's not the kind of marriage I want. And so we look at marriage today, and we, and we determine it, that somehow it's just not working. Chris Rock, the comedian, says the choice is simply this. Either, either you can be single and lonely or married and bored. <laughs> Great choices, right? Great choices. Um, so couples have chosen to do this try-before-you-buy approach. We'll move in together, see how we work, and if it's working well, then if we decide that we want to stay together forever, we'll get married. But there's a problem with that, a lot of, a lot of problems with that. One of the biggest ones is when you enter a relationship without being fully committed, the likelihood of it working is pretty slim. I mean, if you've got one foot out the door and one foot in saying, I'm going to put some of the chips on the table but not all of them, uh, it's doubtful that that's really going to work out. And besides, most of us know the first few years of marriage often are the, the, the most difficult, the most turbulent. If you're trying to see how compatible you are in those first few years of marriage when you're trying to adjust to each other and it's not working, you could quit too soon. Do you know, there's an amazing statistic that was, that was uncovered just a few years ago that couples who were unhappy, that if they stayed together over five years, 66% of them would become happy. In other words, if they would just work through those difficult, uncomfortable years, the majority of them, a higher percentage, were happy staying in their marriage than those that got divorced. Here's something else that happens. When you, when you try it out, it doesn't seem to work, and you've given yourself, you, one partner may say, I gave myself fully to him, but he didn't like it. You now deal with the effects of rejection, of being physically intimate, of being emotionally intimate with another person, and it's much like a divorce. Now you're dealing with this feeling of, I gave myself and was, was rejected, and now I've got to kind of patch myself back up to try to, to do it again. And so our culture has this view that marriage just doesn't work. And I, and I want to challenge that view. I want to go against it. The idea that marriage is being avoided and written off because it doesn't seem to work anymore. Because maybe the reason it doesn't work is because we've lost sight of how it's supposed to work. We're not doing it the right way. Maybe the, maybe the problem isn't the institution of marriage. Maybe the problem is the individuals in the marriage who don't know how to operate the marriage. And see, we get a lot of appliances and computer uh, gadgets and machinery, and with every one of those things comes a little booklet called the Operator's Manual. And many of us are too proud to open it up and read through it and go through those pages. We, we kind of say, I know how to do it. I've seen that done before. I know how to run this thing. And then we run into complications, and we say, you know, where's that book? We go find the book, open it up, start reading it, and go, oh my goodness, I skipped a couple steps, or I'm doing it the wrong way. And when you do it the right way, it works well. But the problem is, we assume that because I grew up watching marriages on TV, watching marriages around me, that somehow I can do that. I know how to do that. Without ever bothering to crack open the owner's manual. See, what you need to realize is marriage wasn't created by government. Marriage preceded government. Marriage is found at the very beginning of time in the Garden of Eden because God instituted it as a foundation for life, foundation for society. 
As a society um, goes, it's determined by the health of the marriages. You can look at any culture through history, whether they're Christian or not, and you will find marriage as a foundation of that culture because it precedes government. It's something that's kind of built in that, that we need that. It's the best place for raising children. It's the best place for personal development. And so we want to go back to the scriptures to find out what did God say about this? Now, it's interesting. In the New Testament, there is one passage that tells you more about marriage than, than probably uh, any, any place else in the entire Bible, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 5. So I want to read this today and then take a look at the first, at just one truth out of this passage. And for those of you who are married, you might leave today going, oh, that's a different perspective of marriage. I want a marriage like that. For some of you who, uh, who desire to be married, maybe you've never been married or maybe you've uh, come out of a marriage, you want to get remarried, this will give you an approach to how to do it the right way or a better way. For some of you who are beyond those years, say, I don't care to get married. Does this message even apply to, to me? Yes, there are many things just about life that this is relevant to, but more importantly, there are people around you who will come to you asking you for relationship advice. And this will help you to see what is God's perspective on this thing called marriage. It's a very hot topic in our culture today. So uh, follow, me along, follow along with me as I read Ephesians 5. Starting with verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want to look at that as how we can reclaim marriage. Going back to the owner's manual, and the first thing we need to reclaim is to reclaim God's purpose for marriage. You can get married for a lot of different reasons. You can go through ancient history and even biblical history and find that sometimes kings married uh, princesses from other nations to build alliances. It was for political reasons. I'm setting up my dynasty and I need these relationships, so I'm going to marry multiple wives from all these different nations all around me. That was, that was intentional. It was politically motivated. We find that marriage oftentimes is economically motivated. Hey, if we get married, we'll do better if we live together, combine our incomes, or maybe I need help, I need, I need you to work with me, or we want to have kids who can work on the farm, you know, that kind of thing. It's very um, economically motivated. Uh, for many, it's very um, sexually motivated in, in a good way. I want a partner that I can be intimate with, and I only want one partner, and I want that partner to be with me for life, that I can be... Um, uh, exposed to, that I can be vulnerable with, and it's just that person. I want the security of that. Okay, so there's an intimacy, a, a sexual reason why people get married. Some get married because they want to have kids. They just, they want the, 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 the joy of having children. They want a legacy. We find in the Bible that having children was, was a way of passing on your, your name and your heritage, your, your land, your property, your inheritance. It belonged to that family, and you need to have kids in order to pass it on to the next generation. So there's all these different reasons, but I want to share with you that there's one uh, purpose for marriage that trumps all of them, and it is companionship. 
Marriage is primarily for companionship. What I want to look at more in depth is this concept where Paul quotes a verse from Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a picture of marriage there that's very beautiful. Two becoming one. It's not just a sexual thing of, of two bodies becoming one, but two lives merging and becoming one. Two spirits coming together. Two, two sets of dreams and, and all these things coming together and becoming one. That's the, the vision God has of marriage. It's about companionship. See, in the very beginning, when God created the earth, every single day after he made things, God stepped back and said, hmm, that's good. It was good until day six. Day six, he made mankind. And he said, though today's been good, there's something about this that isn't good. And we find it in uh, the second chapter, verse 18. Your notes say the first chapter is actually the second. um, Where the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It's not good that Adam is alone. It's not good. Was Adam alone? I thought God was there. I thought God was there. How can you be alone when you're with God? Well, God is a friend, but God is very different than you and me. God is a whole other level than you and me, and there's a lot of things we don't share in common. And so God said, I, I made man not only for this vertical relationship with me, but I created him to have horizontal relationships with other creatures. So then God brings the animals to Adam, and Adam is to name all the animals. But what Adam's going to find out is that among all the animals, and there's some real cute ones in there, none of them, none of them are fit to be his companion. I mean, you may say, well, Pastor, you don't know my dog. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a dog like that, very loyal dog, love my dog, um, and he's a good companion, but we don't have an intimate bond. I mean, I don't really know what he's thinking. I may think that he loves me. He may be thinking of, is he going to give me the scraps on his plate? I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. We may have cats and horses and parrots and all kinds of animals that we consider companions, but none of them are like you. And so it says in, in verse 20, but for Adam there was not a helper, there was not found a helper fit for him So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall over the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last, it's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me, taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the part that Paul quoted Adam saw this creature that God had made from his side. He goes, at last, a companion, someone like me, but but someone different than me. I mean, look at her. We look different, but she's like me. And so God made two people very much alike and yet different enough to complement each other. Marriage, as I said, could be for a lot of different purposes. But companionship, removing loneliness, was the very first purpose for Adam and Eve. Now, now they're going to have a mandate to take care of the earth. They're going to have a mandate to fill the earth with children. And yet, at the end of the day, you still come back to who are we? And the reason I say that is because when marriage is based on companionship, on friendship, and that's kept priority, you realize that if you get married and say you can't have children, can't bear children, 
Or, or you are married and have children, and then the children grow up and they leave the house. You, you're, you're, you're then with each other. And if you have a job and you're working together or you're running the farm, you get, at the end of your career, when retirement comes, what do you have? You have each other. And when, when the sexual drive starts to wane and you're not able to do the things you did before, you have each other. You have each other. And so if you begin in that place of recognizing, I need a companion. I need someone that I want to go through life with, become one with. That transcends all those other motivations for why you get married. All those other things are good, but they don't surpass this. And I watch couples sometimes go through life and they focus on the kids, focus on their job, and focus on all these other things. And then those things end, they go, I hardly even know you. You're a stranger. That's so sad because if you would have nurtured the friendship, you guys would still be so in love. You'd be deeper in love if you would have invested in the right thing. When I was a single adult um, working at a church in Arizona, uh, one, one night after a singles event, a uh, young, cute gal um, asked me if I wanted to go out for ice cream. Now, I'd seen Julie before at the church, and, um, and she was cute, but I did, didn't desire to get serious with someone at that point, but I said, I, I'm, I'm up for ice cream. So we went up for ice cream and <laughs> had great conversation. And, and I thought, man, uh, she's a neat gal. I, I like her. She's a great person. And then we did some more things together and some more things together. And pretty soon, some feelings started to stir within both of us. And we decided to start dating, and that dating led to engagement by the end of that year. And the next year, we got married. But our relationship started with a friendship. And you know, when you read the book of Proverbs and you read the qualities of a friend... You see things like this. A friend loves at all times. Well, I have a friend like that. It's my wife. When Proverbs says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, I said, I've got a friend like that. It's Julie. When Proverbs says that you'll have people in your lives who will flatter you simply to win your favor, but there is a true friend who will speak truth to you, and faithful are their wounds. I said, Yeah, I've got a friend like that. It's my wife. When Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, iron sharpens iron, this clashing of metals, that you become refined. I says, I've got someone in my life like that, and that's my wife. She is, she is really my best friend. You are my best friend. Tim Keller says, real friends always let you in and they never let you down. You know, the Song of Solomon is one of two books in the Bible that don't mention the name God. It's a story of of King Solomon and a young woman that he's going to marry and all we know her as is the the Shulamite woman. And so there's this beautiful poetic interchange between the two and once in a while, the woman will, will speak to her maidens In the fifth chapter, she says this. After describing the features of Solomon, how manly he is, how beautiful he is, she says this. This is my beloved and this is my friend. He is my lover and my friend, both. That's what God has designed marriage to be. Two people who can share love and who are friends. See, I think the reason that that marriage often doesn't work is, is we have this consumer mentality I want to get married for what it does for me. I want to get married because of what the other person does for me. And where that typically begins is with physical attractiveness. 
I like you because you're cute. I like you because you're a stud. I like you because of the way you look. And, and not that attractiveness is important. I mean, the fear of people is I'm going to marry someone and not be attracted to them. But the reality is when you base marriage on physical attractiveness, that is the one thing that's guaranteed to change. It is the one thing that, that you know over time is going to change. Hair color is going to change or hair is going to fall out. Wrinkles will come. Weight's going to appear in various places. Okay? It's going to happen. And so if you base it on that, what are you going to do when that changes? There's got to be something deeper. See, a consumer relationship, a marriage that's, that's based on that approach is spelt like this. That's marriage. Yeah, it's, it's all about me. And if you don't deliver what I need, go on shopping. I'm going shopping for a new model. Someone that, someone that makes me what? Happy. Happy. See, when the goal is happiness, I want to find someone that makes me happy. It's, a, it's an elusive goal. It's something you really can't grab. I mean, uh, how do you find happiness? Happiness isn't found chasing happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of chasing something else that's important. When you chase something else that is important, happiness kind of comes along beside it. But if you chase happiness, you're going to set up unrealistic expectations on a mate. I mean, really, our mates make us happy. Our kids make us happy, but not all the time. Not all the time. So what do you do when they don't make you happy? Well, I, I, I'm getting tired of this. I'm not happy all the time. I need out because I, I, I need to be happy. So I need to go find somebody that makes me happy. The problem is you'll never find someone that makes you happy. If you're not happy already when you get married, I can promise you this, marriage will not make you happy. Too many people say, well, I'm going to be happy when I get married. No, you're not. If you're miserable before you get married, you're going to bring misery into your marriage. You need to bring happiness into your marriage. And your happiness can't be based on that other person. It's got to come from another source. I'm telling you, there's only one reliable source of happiness, and that is the Lord. And when you have the Lord as your source of happiness, you can ride through all kinds of waves of happiness and unhappiness in your marriage because you've got the Lord providing that happiness. See, instead of a consumer relationship, we need a covenant relationship. You know what the difference is? A covenant relationship is not in it because of what you give to me. It's a commitment of what I will give to you. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to enter this relationship and I'm actually putting all my chips on the table. I'm all in for you. And every day I will show up giving all of me to you. I can't control what you do. I can control what I do. And I'm going to enter this guaranteeing you when I make my vows at the altar that that is what I'm going to do till death do us part for better or for worse. In sickness and in health, I will bring it. And if you can marry someone else who's bringing it, wow, that's a great marriage. That's a covenant. That's the kind of relationship God designed us to have with each other because that's the kind of relationship he has with us. See, marriage isn't about me finding the right person. It's about us becoming better people. There's this romanticized view that's very popular in our culture and I think even in the church that God has a soulmate out there for me. That God has one person out there for me, that'll be the perfect match who'll make me happy and we'll have this blissful life together. I just need to find that person. And I may have to go through a few people to get to that person, but I'm going to find it. With God's help, I'll find it. Yet, yet you will never find that in Scripture anywhere. You, you can't find any Scripture that says God has one person designed just for you. 
See, when you have that perspective, what you're thinking of is here's a person that's already kind of perfected who, who is what I need. But you don't find people like that. And you're not a person that's perfected. We're all broken creatures who are going through the process of growth and change. And see, 10 years after marriage, you can look at your spouse and go, you're different than when we married. You're not the same person anymore. I mean, I like who you are now, but you're not the same person who you were when we got married. 10 years after that, there'll be more changes. And then 10 years after that, there'll be more changes. I heard one guy say, my wife's been married to five different men, and they all look like me. (laughs) Because that's the truth. Uh, You know, we we marry someone thinking, oh, that's what I want. That's the, the person I want to be with. But I love this quote, and I forgot where I got it from, but I just love it. You never really know the person you marry, you just think you do. Right? You just think you do. See, you don't find the right person. I mean, you find a good person, but you find a person who's going to become righter, better over the course of time. See, Paul brings up, and we'll talk more about it next week, but this whole process of when a husband acts like Christ in a marriage, he actually has the same effect on his wife that Christ has on the church. That a husband who loves his wife washes her with the word, helps remove the, the wrinkles and blemishes from her spirit, and is able to present her radiant. That's what a godly husband does to his wife. Makes her better. Makes her more Christ-like. And a godly woman has the same effect on her husband. She makes him better. She makes him more Christ-like. And really, the, the, the close com- uh, second uh, purpose of marriage next to companionship is discipleship. I get married so I can become a better follower of Jesus. See, I've got an issue, and you do too, of, of something inside of us, something that needs to be changed, and it's called selfishness. It's called sin. And, and it runs far deeper than you or I really understand. You want to drive selfishness out of you? Get married. And if you have any vestiges left of it, have kids. They will push it out. You cannot be selfish and share life with a spouse and kids. You can't do it. It's impossible. God drives it out. And that's a good thing, right? We need people to help drive out that self-centeredness. Help me to be a better person. And a spouse can do that. You know, I remember hearing as a kid that this idea that... that uh, particularly women have this idea that someday my knight, will come and sh- my knight in shining armor will come. He'll sweep me off the, my feet. And, and just like he takes his princess and they ride off into the sunset. You know, that never appealed to me because I don't like to wear metal. So <laughs> I just, just sound very uncomfortable. So I, I think more of the modern day picture of the quarterback of the football team picking up the cheerleader on the shoulder, marching off through the end zone after the game. You know, because, you know, the cheerleader is the one who's always saying, oh, you're the best, and you're the greatest, and you're awesome, and and we love that as men. We love our wives to be cheerleaders, and she loves the man who's out there leading the charge and gets some bumps and bruises and and sweats, but he wins the game every time. I mean, women love that, and so they get together, and the reality is you never marry the cheerleader, and you never marry the quarterback. You marry the referee. (laughs) Right? You marry the referee. I never knew how bad I was till I got married. I mean, I, I grew up as a good kid. My mom thought I was great. 
the teachers in school thought I was just one of the best students. I, I had jobs where my employers thought, man, you're just outstanding young man. I go to work at churches. They love me. And I get married. And for the first time in my life, I feel like an absolute failure. I can't, some days I just can't seem to do anything right. And then I wonder, it's my wife. She's the problem. It's her. Everyone else sees me correctly, but not my wife. But the reality is, there's no better mirror than your spouse. Because you can bluff people all, the, all day long. You can put on a charade that you're this great person and you're, and you're kind and you're caring and you're, you're funny and all these things at work and at school and, at, and all these other places. But when you're at home, people can't put on that act 24-7. And so the guard comes down. And all of a sudden you see that character flaw you see that temper. You see that harshness. You see these things starting to come out at home. And your spouse sees it and your kids see it. I believe that, that your family's view of you weighs far more, carries far more weight than any other person's view of you on this earth. Now, God's view is ultimate. But, but if you want an accurate view of yourself, you usually get it, very honestly, from your spouse. And... It's not always pretty because we have flaws and we have, we have uh, blemishes. And yet marriage is not about me finding the right person. It's about me becoming a better person with you. And a spouse helps this process of discipleship. See, remember Paul in, in Ephesians 4 talked about um, putting off the old and then putting on the new that represents who we are in Christ? And our spouses help us do it. They, they actually accelerate the process. They make it move a little bit faster. In fact, next to the voice of the Holy Spirit, I found the most powerful voice in my life is the voice of my wife. And sometimes they sound the same. Sometimes they sound it's like the Holy Spirit speaking through her. And go, oh, man, that hurts. Yes, you're right. And God uses our spouse to help us to become more like Christ. You know, when a couple gets married, I think... And I hear a lot, of, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I've loved you since we met and you're so beautiful and all this. But I think what couples should say in their vows would be something like this. Honey, I'm a better person since I found you. And I want to keep becoming a better person. And I know I can with your help. I know that you see me as I really am and you care about me and you want God's best for me. And I trust that the guidance and the words you speak will help me to become that man. And I as well will, will commit in this relationship to be honest with you, to be loving in my words, and help you become the woman that God has called you to be. I think if couples entered a relationship like that, it would change how they look at it. Because marriage is about growing. We don't, we don't start as finished products. We, we come together as broken, wounded people that are just projects waiting to be um, dealt with. And marriage gives us the place to deal with it. That's why Paul said, if you don't want to deal with the junk in your life, don't get married. Don't get married. Marriage is dangerous. Marriage is risky. Marriage is costly. In fact, for some of you, it would be far better for you not to get married and just devote yourself to the work of the kingdom. Because it's going to take a lot of time and energy to do this thing that's required in a relationship. Marriage is a process. It's much like what businesses go through when they have, they have this four-phase process called um, forming, 
Storming, norming, and performing. A group comes together and they form. They, they get assembled. And they, they, it's, it's happy. It's kind of the honeymoon stage. And then they realize that they don't always get along. Someone has a different personality quirk. Someone has a different work ethic. And they start to clash. And now conflicts rise. And they have a choice either, either to leave the team or the team explodes or implodes or they're going to work through it. And if they work through the storming phase, they come to this beautiful place called norming where now they know how to get along with each other. And they know how to work together, and it leads to a, a, a place where they can actually perform well together. And I think marriages go through the same cycle. You, you are formed. You become husband and wife. That, that relationship has been formed, but you start to learn about each other, and there's conflict. You rub each other the wrong way, and there's difficulties. But if you quit, you're going to start over with someone else. And you're going to hit the same phase with that person. So why not just stick with it? Work through the conflicts. Just what Mike and Ann did. Work through those issues. Grind through it. It's painful. It may take years to get through, but keep working through, and you'll come to this place where, hey, feels pretty good now. I like, I like who we are. I like how we're functioning with each other now, and you can become a high-performing couple. See, the honeymoon fades, and the storms come, but love pursues. See, don't you want to find someone to do life with like that? I think, I think almost all of us feel like I, I'd love to have a relationship with someone like that. But here's our fear. That in order for me to be really loved, someone's going to have to get to know me. And that's scary. Because if you know the real me, you may not like me. And so I risk getting rejected. And yet, you cannot really love me unless you know me. See, to be, to be both known and loved is the sweetest of all loves. And that's the kind of love God has for you. He knows you better than anybody else and yet loves you better than anybody else. And that's why God becomes the the single figure that draws two people together. I love this picture of a triangle where you have a man down here and a woman here. And see, if, if God's up here and both of them seek to get closer to God, guess what happens to their relationship? They get closer to each other. That's why when the Bible says a cord of three strands is not easily broken, God becomes not just a strand, he becomes a cable that holds your marriage together. Now we're gonna talk next week more about that love that's a source for us, not only for me personally, but for me to receive, but for me then to give to my spouse. But you need to know that God loves you. And whether you're married or not, it doesn't matter. He loves you where you are. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you even when you are at your worst. He loves you for better or worse.